Let's, let's just start out. We'll read right here in Genesis, the 24th chapter, and uh, we'll get going. I'll start in the first verse. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, he said, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth, that you, not, you will not take a wife for my son from, a, uh, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Fourth verse, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So let me, instead of reading all this, Abraham's getting older. It's time for Isaac. You know, he's, <clears throat> you've heard Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Isaac is Abraham's son. It's time for Abraham. I mean, uh, Isaac to, to get a wife. So he tells his oldest servant here, whose name is Eleazar, he says, I need you to go find my son Isaac a wife. And you might think, why is he putting his hand under his thigh? Well, for them, that was the same as I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And he's putting his hand under his thigh, and he's sitting on his hand, basically saying um, he is um, submitting to his authority. In other words, you're, sit, I'm sit, you're, sit, I'm, you're sitting on my hand. I'm submit, uh, submitting myself to your authority. I'm going to do what you say. So I know that's weird to us, but it was, it's what they practiced. Okay? So he tells them to go and, and, and get a wife for my son. So let's skip on down to the 10th verse here. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and he departed. For all his master's goods were in his hands. Uh, he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women got to draw water. So all the young uh, ladies at that time would come out, all the daughters would come out and they would draw water in the evening time at a certain time in the evening. So here he is. Uh, bringing his camels kneeling down outside this well. So 12th verse, he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. He said, Behold, here I stand by the well and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. The 14th, he says, Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I'll also give your camels a drink. Let her be of the one you've appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So, in other words, he's going, here here's on, here's comes out a bunch of available women that are single. So which one is he to pick? I mean, there's a lot of stressful jobs in the world. Um, I looked up the other day some stressful jobs, and one of them was, a uh, school teacher, high school t- school teacher. And some of the videos I've seen on TV, I can see why, because the way that t- kids can talk to the teachers nowadays are ridiculous. Uh, coal miners, underground coal miners are stressful jobs. Um, one I had never really thought about before is air traffic controller. I guess because you got a lot of people's lives and you got to make a decision. Um, another one was um, a police officer. Um, stockbroker. 
I guess you can go to hero and Z, to zero in just a, a, a second, can't you? And there were several others of stressful jobs, but I was thinking about stressful jobs, and here's uh, Eleazar, and he is going uh, to pick out a bride for Isaac, and it doesn't need to be any random somebody. It needs to be the right one. So he prays out to God, God, you're going to have to show me which one here? So I bring back the right one because God had told Abraham and, and Sarah, He said, Your descendants, your children are going to be like the stars in the sky and the uh, sand of the seashore. And you know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from Jacob, his sons and grandsons created the 12 tribes of Israel. So basically, who Isaac married was very, very important. And Abraham left it in the hands of his oldest servant, Eleazar, to find the, find the right one and bring it back. And um, you know, back then they uh, they had arranged marriages. You know, it's not like it is now. Go pick some up at the bar, marry them, hope it works out. And I'm not opposed to arranged marriage. I would love to arrange a marriage for all my children. That would be great. I'll keep my daughter at the house till she's about 40 probably. And I might might turn her loose about then. The boys, as soon as they graduate, I won't find them somebody to marry. They're out. But now nah, I'm just I'm just teasing. But you know, Eleazar going here to find the, the bride, the perfect bride, and then bring this bride back to Isaac. If you'll think about it, it's a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit coming and getting the church ready to present us before the groom. So anyway, here comes the women out. Here comes all the girls out. And he goes up to one, 18th verse. He asked her, 17th verse, he asked her for a drink. 18th verse, she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she says, basically she does exactly what he prayed, what he had asked the Lord uh, for her to do. So, you know, Drew was talking about camels a minute ago, so I thought that was kind of funny. But here is the most eligible bachelor in the entire uh, universe. I mean, he's it. His father is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He'd been blessed. You can read the scripture. He had it going on. He's the most wealthy man on the planet. Here's Isaac just fixing to step into it and inherit all of it. And he's definitely the most eligible bachelor in the land. Not only that, but um, he loved the Lord. So that's the most important thing, that he, he loved the Lord. The fact that he had all this money coming to him, that doesn't help. That doesn't that hurt a bit, does it? That helps a whole lot because no money, no honey. You know what I'm saying? God, that was a good one. Y'all wake up out there. <laughs> so Eleazar is, is looking for this woman. So here's what I want y'all to notice right here. It says she, she gave him a drink and then she, um, she, she watered his camels also. So he wasn't basically going, he wasn't just going off looks. In other words, um, who he picked was very important, but he wasn't basing who he picked off uh, lips, hips, and hairdos. What he picked it, how he picked it was off work ethic, that she went the extra mile, that she did a little more than was expected of her because in this country there was a thing called the law of hospitality and it still stands today. Here comes a stranger up into your town, up into your land, 
He's riding up on a camel. He's thirsty. The law of hospitality is you offer him a drink of water. But that's all you have to do. That's all that young lady had to do. That's all any of those young ladies had to do is offer him a drink of water. That was under the law of hospitality. It was a real thing. But the fact that she went the extra mile, now she's not giving him a drink, but she's watering his camels. And you may think, well, watering the camel is really not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal. You have to think, or read the scripture, it says she was a beautiful woman, beautiful woman. And she comes out, so you picture a good-looking woman, hair's all did up, makeup, fingernails, you know, pantyhose, got it all going on. She's out there watering some camels now. Her hair's all a mess. She's sweating. Her makeup's running. She's got a tear in her pantyhose. <laughs> I mean, that's really what's going on. So listen, it's not like she put the hose pipe in a water trough and just filled it up. Go read about how much camels drink. 50 gallons each. There was 10 camels. That's 500 gallons of water. So she took a bucket and let it down into a well and cranked up a bucket and poured it in a trough. And these old camels, you ever been around a horse or a cow and see how many flies gather around? Imagine how many flies up on a camel. And they, they spit and they slobber and they drool. And here she is filling this bucket up and emptying it in the trough and filling the bucket up and emptying it in the trough. So she did what was expected of her, which is give him a drink of water. But then she went the extra mile and uh, watered all his camels. So the lifestyle that she lived is what I'm trying to get over to you tonight. And I think it's a principle or a law that we can understand in the flesh and you can understand it in your work and in your marriage, but you need to understand it also in spiritual as well. Because you, you apply it just the same. And we'll get more into that in just a moment. But the lifestyle that she's living, she's not out here um, doing it because she knows that he's watching her. Nobody has a clue. She doesn't know she's being watched. She's not doing it because she knows the saddlebags on these camels are full of gold and full of rubies and full of diamonds and that she's going to be taken back and become a millionaire's wife and just step straight into it. She has no clue. She's just laboring under this man as she labors unto the Lord. And that's what the scripture tells us, to, to labor as you do unto the Lord. And to do that your job, do that for others, do that for people, to go the extra mile, to go the second mile. It's not a do it if they're watching or do it if I'm going to receive something. It's just she was living uh, the second mile lifestyle is what I call it. You understand? She just offered, here, let me water these camels, 500 gallons worth of water to some old stinky, nasty camels. And, you know, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 25, and he says, when you do this to the least of these, you've done it to me. When you've denied them, you've denied me. So she's laboring as unto the Lord. And I think we can all learn something from that. And this extra effort that she's putting in, um, God exalted her for it. And He will exalt you. Extra effort equals extra blessings. You think about athletes today. You watch documentaries on some athletes that have made it to the big time. You think about Pistol Pete. You know, I'm sure y'all, most everybody knows who that is. But he carried a basketball everywhere he went. He's eating lunch. He's got a slice of pizza in one hand or a sandwich in one hand. He's dribbling a basketball. Everywhere he's going, he's dribbling. When other kids are at home playing video games or whatever they used to do back then, he's dribbling basketballs. And you see other athletes talking about how they made it. They weren't that good. But when everybody quit practicing and went home, they stayed in practice. They took another 100 swings at the baseball. Or they worked out a little more. Or they ran a little more. Or they 
got some private lessons, whatever. They put in, they put in some extra effort. And I know there's not motocross racers in here, but y'all can still appreciate this story. Is um, In the late 90s, the two people that were on the top of their game were Jeremy McGrath and Jeff Emig, and they were like rock stars. I mean, they had lots of good-looking women that were flocking to them. There's pictures of it, but they raced on, on Saturday, and then they partied. And then they raced on Saturday night or Sunday, whenever it was, on the weekend. And then they partied. And pictures of them just partying it up. And then this fellow came along named uh, Ricky Carmichael. And Ricky Carmichael is known as the GOAT, the greatest of all time. That's because when they were partying, he was at home asleep. And when they were hungover, he was working out. And his workout regimen, I tried it once. I, I couldn't even do it. Like, not finish it. Like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even do any of it. I couldn't, my, my body wouldn't do it. And that's when I was in shape, or best shape of my life. So he started just tearing everybody up. Well, he forced everybody else to work out and train like he did now. Since then, to 2018, uh, pro motocrossers are the most physically fit athletes in the world. They surpassed even soccer players. And I saw one, I watched his regimen the other day. He had this big old kettlebell, 50-pound kettlebell, and he's doing one-legged squats, and the dude went all the way down to his rear and touches the floor. And he'd do it over and over and over and change the legs. I tried that the other day with no kettlebell. <laughs> and I knew I was fixing to hit the floor, so I stopped and put my other foot down and came on back up with it. But uh, extra effort. He went the extra mile. In other words, everybody else is going one mile. He's going two miles. It's, it's extra effort. We can understand that. Like I said, in, uh, with athletes, you hear stories and people say, you know, she could have said, it's not my job description. It's not on my resume. How many people have you worked somewhere before with somebody and they go, that's not my job to do that. That's his job. That's somebody else's job. I know plenty of people. Boy, I've heard that for years. But the criteria for who he was going to pick and who he was going to bring back was, like I said, it wasn't based off looks. It was completely and totally based off her going the second mile. And, um, you know, as, as Christians, you're not going to win the loss with uh, bumper stickers, Instagram posts, and, and Facebook posts. And... Um, you win the loss, I want to tell you, you go on the second mile, doing not what's expected of you, but doing what's more than expected of you. I mean, Scripture tells us to do that. In marriage, there's things you can do that's expected of you. There's things you should do that are expected of you. In other words, most marriages are set up, <clears throat> you kind of know what she's going to do, and he knows what's vice versa. You know what I'm saying? The man knows what the woman's going to do. you got certain things that she does around the house, and he's got certain things he does around the house. Well, you know, you can do what's expected and then some. <clears throat> Young married people, you need to listen. I know what I'm talking about. I've been married almost 25 years, got four kids, never been separated, never been divorced. And I, I can't even remember ever having a fight if you want to know the truth. But it's not because I'm such an awesome husband. It's because my wife was so awesome that she just put up with me for a lot of years. And that is the real truth. She's lived the second mile lifestyle the whole time we've been married. She's the one I've learned from, but... An example is you're doing what's expected of you, but you can go home. Say you've been at work all day. Yeah, you're tired, wore out, but maybe she's been home with the kids all day. And maybe it's evening time or maybe it's a Saturday and you've already planned to go do something with the guys or you're going to go fishing. You're gonna do... You can change your plans and say, you know what? 
I tell you what, I want to stay home with the kids for a little while. I want you to go shopping and go get your nails done. Go do whatever it is that you want to do. In other words, I'm going to do what's expected of me and then some. That really gets quiet when you start talking about that. But women can do it as well. I hear women all the time talking about they don't want to go to the movies with their husbands because all he wants to watch is somebody getting beat up, killed, blood and gore. And that is what guys like. But you know, if y'all suck it up and go on to the movie, maybe on the way home from the movie, he'll swing by the boutique and let you buy something. You know what I'm saying? It's a give and a take. <clears throat> but to do what's expected and then some. And we get, we get into this uh, how little can I get by with mentality. How little can I get by with in my marriage and how, many, how little can I get by with at church? I've got a friend that told me he's not going to do any more than he has to. All he wants to do get to, is to get to heaven. That is it. He is doing nothing else. He wants to do the bare minimum and that with his own mouth. And a lot of Christians may not say that, but they do that. They want to take a casual approach to a relationship with Jesus Christ and do just enough to get by and do nothing extra. Just go one mile. They're not going to go two miles. 10% on tithes and offerings. Oh, I'm not giving a penny more than that. I've seen checks wrote out to, you know, let's just say a $180, $179.71. I mean, you couldn't go ahead and round it up to 180 and give an extra 29 cents. But people, people will, they go to their checkbook, and whatever they made that week or that month, 10% to the penny, and they're not giving a penny more. I've seen it for years. Well, that's a... That's not, a, <clears throat> that's not a good mentality to have. That's a, I'm going to do only what's expected of me and I'm not going to do any more. And the current workplace philosophy right now in this country that we live in is we want to do as little as absolutely possible but we'll get paid as much as possible. Y'all work with people like that. Y'all may be like that. Some of you, I don't know. I'm not. You know why? Because I'm the boss. I work for myself. <laughs> But to do as little as possible and make as much as possible, you know, they want $15, 16 $18 an hour to flip a cheeseburger. If you want that much money, you need to learn a trade. And flipping a burger is not a trade. Um, but we, don't, we want to do as little as possible and get as much as we can. That's why America has become so inefficient. Now, I can't remember. It's been a year or two ago. There's an article in a magazine, and it said on there, the America, the inefficient. And I read it. And uh, it's talking about how made in America used to really mean something. It did used to mean something. Now it doesn't mean that much anymore. It really doesn't. I buy tools all the time. I can go buy an American-made tool and you take it and you use it and it just feels cheap and junky. And I can go buy one made in Japan like a Makita skill saw and it feels like you've got a real tool in your hand. It's sad, but it's so. But they said American-made vehicles, that they already factor in 25% extra to the sale price to make up for recalls and warranty work. That means you and I pay more for vehicles because people don't want to do the job right the first time because they're not willing to go the extra mile, the second mile. And that's, that's, what, we live, that's, that's, that's what we live in nowadays. Matthew 5 and the 41st uh, verse, <clears throat> 541. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And that's what I'm getting over, getting over to right there is the second mile lifestyle. Whoever compels you to go one mile, surprise him and go two. 
Whoever asks you for a drink of water, surprise him and water his camels also. You know, if, if every Christian that, that walked around in, on planet Earth lived this life right here, if everybody lived in the second mile lifestyle and did more than was expected of them, lived the second mile lifestyle, if they did, you know that companies, I don't care if they were atheist owned or uh, owned by uh, a Muslim or whoever, if Christians lived that life, it would be on the resume, are you a Christian? Because they would want to hire Christians. Fortune 500 companies would be contacting churches wanting to set up out there in the foyer to try to take some applications because they want people like that to work for them. That's the way you and I as Christians, we're supposed to be working whatever our job is as we're working unto the Lord. Because people are watching you. People are looking at you. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 20th, 20th verse, it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean? The Pharisees were... Uh, Wanted to do the minimum. They were legalists. They were clock, clock watchers. You know what I mean by clock watchers? Five o'clock, we're out of here. And I've worked with people like that before, and you can be 45 minutes across town, got all your tools drug out, and you get off at four. It's four o'clock. They're they watching the clock when it's four. Gone back to the house. But you could have stayed an extra 45 minutes, completely finished the job. You might have got home a little bit late, but, now, but you finished. But at 4 o'clock, we're gone. And we're going to drive all the way back home. Then, then you got to come back the next day, unload all the tools, finish that project, reload. Now you've killed half a day. That's not, that's not the kind of employees people like myself are looking for, I can tell you. I like people that's going to stay a few extra minutes and get it done. But y'all know what I'm talking about. What if you did come in a few minutes early and, and stay a few minutes late? I added up today. If you came in 15 minutes early a day to your job, five days a week, and stay 15 minutes a day, which is only 30. That would give you three whole weeks in a year. Do you know how much you can do in three weeks? I know what I can do in three weeks. If you did an hour a day, that's six weeks in a year. That's a lot. You can get a whole lot accomplished. Well, we can understand that in the, the natural. The same thing applies to the spiritual. In the 12th chapter of Proverbs, I don't have that on there, but it says that the righteous, that's you and I, should exceed that of his neighbor in excellence. He says, come out from among them and be ye separate. We're supposed to be separate. There is supposed to be a noticeable difference between Christians and non-Christians. There is. Not just when people are watching, not just when you're expecting to get something out of it, but you want to reach lost people uh, at work. You know what? You're going you're gonna to reach them on the second mile. Not by them watching you do the minimum requirement. Only what's expected out of you. You, you get a guy, have you ever worked with somebody who wants to preach to you all the time, but he's lazy? <clears throat> Y'all know what I'm talking about. He works for a company. You've seen him ride the clock. You've seen him ride the clock and he's over there talking to you about church or talking to you about the ball game when he should be over there working because he's getting paid to work. And when you're, when you're getting paid to do a job but you're over there preaching, you're stealing from the company you're working for. I can't respect anybody that steals from a company they're working for. I can't respect anybody that's lazy. But if I see a man go to work and do the job and he goes the second mile and he's always going the second mile... Uh, that's somebody I can respect and somebody I can listen to. And you're, you're no different. People see you working, see you doing what's expected of you, and see you watering the camels, going the second mile. You're not going to have to preach to them. 
when they start having trouble on the home front or any type of situation in their life, they're going to come to you and start asking you questions and want to talk to you because they see the way you carry yourself. I've lived that, experienced that. I know, uh, you know, we had a fella come, before I was a pastor at our church, um, there's a fella that come and preached a sermon. And it was good. I enjoyed it. I said, man, this guy's good right here. That's, I, it was a good sermon. Well, he got offered just immediately, offered to come and, and stay in one of the uh, people at our house, uh, a church, a member of the church. I don't say who it is, but one of the uh, ministers of the church said, well, you can just live in this house I have right here. I'm fixing to move out and I'm going to rent it. You can just live in it. We'll get you a job and everything. You can come here to the church. Here's your office. Got it all set up. Well, this dude, sure enough, he comes. He moves in. He's got him an office set up. Now, I was thinking to myself, I've been going here my entire life. I'm on staff, and I ain't even got an office. But I don't say nothing. I just go on about my business. Well, he couldn't pay his rent first month. Couldn't pay it the second month, third month, fourth month. Couldn't pay it. But there's another problem, too. He didn't have a job. He wouldn't work. People were finding him jobs that he wouldn't take them. So then another member of our church said, here's a trailer with a $10,000 walker a mower and weed eaters and backpack blowers, the whole trailer. Here's a notebook pad with all my customers. Uh, all you got to do is here's your business. Just here you go. You know how many grass, how many yards you cut? None. He didn't want to work. Well, I couldn't. When he got up to preach, I may might as well go to sleep. I wasn't listening to anything the dude had to say. I don't care how good the sermon was. I couldn't get past the fact that he was, he was lazy and wouldn't work and wouldn't provide for his family and all he wanted was a handout. Do you understand what I'm saying? People don't want to listen to you preach. They don't want to hear about your Jesus when, when you have that type of work ethic. That's why you need to work whatever you do as, you, as you're doing it unto the Lord. People listen to you when you're the top producer of your field or at your company. Think about this. Right now, <clears throat> if old Gus said, I'm going to have a coaching seminar and tell you all the secret to my success for 2018. And Nick Saban said, I'm going to have a coaching seminar and tell you about my success for 2018. Where are people going to go? Well, why? Because he's successful. Because he's the top in his field, right? I'll tell you right now, uh, probably in the whole country that we live in, but absolutely 100% without a shadow of a doubt in the state of Alabama, if Nick Saban started preaching Jesus, he could read, reach more lost people, lead more people to Jesus than Billy Graham. If he would use the platform that God's given him, he absolutely could. Why people listen to him? Why would they listen to him? Because he's the top of his field, work ethic. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, I have not been a huge fan of his because I'm not a huge fan of people that take the Lord's name in vain repeatedly. I don't like that. But as this season's grown on, especially the last game, I mean, I think those guys are getting to him. I think those two quarterbacks and th number 34 and uh, some of the other ones, I don't know all their names. I think they're getting to the dude. I mean, he almost teared up there for a moment. And I hope they do get to him, and I hope they do break his heart. You know, you know what I mean by break it. Not break it by transferring to another school or losing the game. 
But, you know, I've got, you could go examples for days here, but when somebody says they're going to fix your car and it'll be ready tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and it's really ready at 10 o'clock, it's not, well, uh, we run into a few things here and uh, it's going to be a little while longer. And, you know, that's not good. I had a fellow put a fuel pump in my truck about two or three weeks ago. And when I went to pick my truck up, it was wet. I was like, what the heck's my truck wet for? And he said, I, I was out test driving. I, just, I took it through that car wash. I was like, you fixed my truck because you did what you're supposed to do. That's what's expected of you. But then you took it and drove it through the car wash and got it washed for me. That's going the second mile. You go into a waiting room and they got a TV from the 1960s with rabbit ears sticking out of it. And they got these chairs that you don't really want to sit in because they looking pretty nasty. Or you go over to Lexus and Mercedes and they got these big leather couches and a big giant screen TV and a bowl of cashews for you to snack on while you're waiting. You know, it's the extra mile. It makes a difference. When you own your own business, it makes a difference. When you're an employee at, 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 a, at a business and you're working for somebody, it makes a difference. Go on the second mile. And people are waiting on their miracle. Well, the miracle is going to be found not in the first mile, but in the second mile. The extra blessing is found in the extra effort. And, you know, you can say it's just a stupid camel. That's what she could have said. You could say it's just a stupid camera or it's just a stupid job. It's just this or just, just that. I thought by now in life I'd be here or there. I'd be a, I'd be a prophet to the nations or whatever. Don't, don't, don't curse the camel. Ride the camel. Because she rode to the camel to a field. She met Isaac not knowing he's the one that owned the field. So what I'm saying is you, could, you, can, you can curse it, you can kill it, or you can ride it, and you can ride it into the field not knowing, not knowing you're going to meet Prince Charming. Moses is out there shoveling up sheep dung, tending a bunch of sheep. You can't curse the place God's carrying you through or you may not ever see where, he, where He's carrying you to where He wants you to go. You may not ever see it. I made a post. I do about one. Every time, you know, something good gets in my mind, I'll make a Facebook post. So last... I think last Saturday I was up at the church studying a little bit and I read this scripture and I made a post. I said, there's no traffic jams on the second mile. Most of the time if I make a post, you know, 100, 200 likes, four or five shares, zero shares and like 16 likes. And I dawned on me, they ain't got a clue what this means. Nobody knows what the second mile means. Because nobody goes the extra mile. Nobody puts in effort, extra effort. They're going to do the least that's required of them. But you know what? There aren't any traffic jams on the second mile. The first mile is bumper to bumper. You know, it's a broad way that leads to destruction. And there's a lot of traffic on that road. But the narrow gate, there's not a lot of traffic on it. There's not any traffic jams on it. The one that leads to life. Nobody ever went into a lawyer's office and said, I want to get a divorce because uh, he's just doing too much for me. <laughs> no man ever walked in and said, I want to divorce her because I got home from work today and walked in and supper was ready. And I was going to do some laundry, but the laundry was done. So I was to take the garbage out, but the garbage had already been taken out. I can't take it anymore. I want a divorce. She's doing too much. I'm tired of her doing so much. Nobody ever went in and said, this man's too good to me. 
He works all week. Then he comes home and stays up with the kids and watches them. He gives me money and tells me to get my nails done or whatever it is. Tells me to go shopping with my sister and go down to Christmas Village and just buy what I want. I want a divorce. <laughs> you know why people get divorces? Because the exact opposite. Because their spouses don't want to get off their lazy rear ends and do nothing. It's hard to get them to go the first mile, much less the second mile. But then they're going to come up to church and praise the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored and sing, sing some songs and be extra spiritual. But at the house, they are lazy good for nothing. They won't do nothing. That's why people get divorces. Because there's a lot more uh, to being um, the man of the house than the zipper on your pants. You're not the man of the house because they stamped mail on your birth certificate. See, you may be male by birth, but you're man by choice. You make a choice to take on the responsibility, to be the head of your household, to be the spiritual leader God called you to be. No sizzle in my marriage. There ain't no spark. Romance has died out. Well, you won't find it on the first mile. It's on the second mile. I don't know who's in charge of it. Um, Disney World. But um, he was asked, has anybody in here been to Disney World? I've been a few times. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it is. I said I'd never go back, but I know I'll have to when the grandkids get here one day. Dear Lord. But um, I've never understood it. You know, we hurry as fast as you can to wait in line. And hurry as fast as you can to wait in line. And then hurry as fast as you can to wait in line for all day long. It just wasn't a lot of fun to me. I know some people love it. But anyway, one thing, I, I, I just pay attention to things when I'm places. I look at how things are built and just look at, just, just pay attention. And one thing I notice at Disney World is that place is clean. I mean, it is clean. And people are animals. You know, people eat stuff and just chunk it on the ground, though. You know how people are. I mean, they do it here at church, I'm sure. Get to uh, tie the envelope, it's going to put a piece of gum in it and throw it and leave it behind for somebody else to clean. I mean, yeah, just animals. Y'all looking around, you've been doing that, haven't you? I call him my son because he's got red hair. We kind of look a lot, but you're you're grounded. (laughs) Now I'm teasing, but listen. They asked uh, the dude in charge of Disney World, they said, this place is absolutely speckless, spotless, clean all the time. There's not trash. There's not, it's so clean all the time. How do you do that? How many people do you have in maintenance? He said 45,000. They said, oh, you made 4,500. He goes, no, 45,000. We have 45,000 employees, including me, and we all do maintenance. The rule is the first one that sees it picks it up. And I have seen ministers myself uh, at church walking in, <clears throat> a piece of paper on the ground, a cup or something, and just walk right by and just keep on going in. And it really, really bothers me because don't ask somebody to do something if you're not willing to do it yourself. Um, but he said, he said, we all do maintenance. You know, that's something to, you know, when you're in the bathroom, there's a napkin on the floor. I mean, pick it up. Somebody let the bottle in there here. Pick it up. Don't say, well, the cleaning crew will get it on Monday. And we need to be examples to our children to be like El Shaddai, the God of abundance, not El Cheapo. I know some of you work right now in places. I've had some terrible employers in my life. 
Well, not terrible. I've, I mean, not a bunch of them, just one. I mean, terrible. I mean, I'm telling you, terrible. And I was younger, and I let it get to me and bother me. And I didn't realize that, you know, I was just young. But um, I, I would work 100 hours a week, and that's no exaggeration. I'm telling you, 100 hours a week, 90, 100 hours a week, whatever it took to get the job done. And, you know, the whole time I worked for this man, not one time did he ever say, hey, I appreciate that, or good job, or let me give you a little, a little extra I mean, I did good just getting my regular check. And I kept on, kept on, and finally I said, this guy doesn't notice me. I am getting the heck out of here. And I, I left and went on down the road. But you know what? <clears throat> Look at this girl right here. And she's watering these camels, 500 gallons of water. And you may be working like that as well somewhere thinking he, your employer doesn't notice. Well, God notices. And he'll exalt you. He can open a lot of doors that you and I can't open. Somebody else notices your work ethic. Somebody else offers you a job, a better job, making more money. Less hours, more money, you get home more, company trucks up on. You don't ever know what the good Lord's going to do. But I'll tell you this, He is watching you. And extra, extra effort, the, the, the return is extra blessings. And, um, you know, this lady's out here watering these camels not knowing that these camels, this nasty old job of watering a camel, was the gateway into the greatest future she could have ever imagined. So, you know, the big question, we could go on and on and on with examples, but I'll just stop. Um, is are you living the second mile lifestyle? Because the Lord's been dealing with me about this. And sometimes I think I can't do anymore, but I really can. Because I've been at home doing some extra stuff. I've been surprising my wife. She came home and I had washed. See, here's the deal. She's a stay-home mom, right? And I go to work all day. And she stays home and works. So her, she doesn't expect me to do anything around the house. I mean, yeah, sure, I'll grab the garbage and carry it out there. But most of the time I just say, boys, come here. Get the garbage, carry it out there. You know, she'll start unloading all the groceries and carrying them up there. And I'm like, what do you do? And we've got three 14-year-olds. And I was like, boys, get the groceries. But she'll carry them all in. That's just the way she is. She's a hard-working woman. And um, so she doesn't expect me to do anything. There's really not a whole lot to do. She just kind of does it. And um, But here lately... Past few weeks, I've been going out of my way to find things to do. If there's a cup or a dish, anything laying around, whoosh, I'm over there washing it. I'm trying to go the second mile. And, uh, you know, I'm like, let me help you with those Christmas decorations, which is something I've never done in 24 years. I just sit on the couch and go mind my business and let her do her deal. But anyway, I've been trying to go the second mile. And so, you know, uh, I'm not telling you, to be like me, I'm telling you to be like Christ. And there's no other better uh, example of going the second mile than Jesus Christ because doing what's expected versus doing more than what's expected and forgiving us when we, when we deserve it. No, I mean, we were forgiven when we didn't deserve it. And it says He loves us unconditionally. He loves us when we're, when we're unlovely, not when we deserve to be to be loved. You understand what I'm saying? 
And that's the way we're supposed to treat others as well. I'm going to forgive you if you earn your forgiveness or I'm going to extend some grace to you and show you some mercy. Now, this world stays in the first mile and as being Christ-like, being Christians, we're supposed to be living the second mile lifestyle in everything you, everything you do. At your work, in your marriage, and at church spiritual, spiritually speaking. Here's what I want you to leave with is this. Is, um, y'all know what a plateau is, right? It's half over between the bottom and the top. And not to settle on the plateau. Um, say no to the plateau and go to the top. Anybody can do the first mile. Um, but to be Christ-like and live the second mile lifestyle. Amen?